Well, last week we started a new series entitled Extreme Makeover Calvary Edition. And we talked about the foundation and the importance of fixing the foundation. It's the reason why God said, do not have any other gods before me. Don't make for yourself graven images. You need to make sure that you're focused on the one true God. You need to make sure that you're worshiping him properly. And you need to make sure that you're reverencing and referencing him properly. You are not supposed to use the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. This morning, as we continue that series, I want to talk to you about the the importance of making room for margin. As as we build on that foundation, I, I want to talk about building properly. And it's interesting, when God created everything, when God built what we know as existence, here's what he did. He worked for six days and then he rested. He worked for six days and then he rested, which is interesting because what we know about God is this, is that he is all powerful. Our God is not a God that grows weary. He's not a God that grows tired. So why would he pause? Why would he rest? Here's a principle that I want to give you. In fact, if you get nothing else out of our time together this morning, I want you to leave with this principle. There is a purpose in every pause. Let me say that again. There is a purpose in every pause. And you can be confident of this. Because our God is a God who is very specific. Our God is a God who is very focused on this issue of stewardship. God makes sure that everything is used to its fullest potential. And the greatest resource that you have, friend, the greatest resource that we have is time. You can make more money. You can make more friends. Well, some of you can make more friends. You, 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 can, you can make more of a lot of things. Here's what you cannot make more of. You cannot make more time. You can't do it. Right? Jesus said this, who of you by worrying can add a moment to their life? The time that we have is ordained by God. He knows the number of our days before we're born. And so one of the things that you can't do is you can't make more time. And that, the fact that it is a limited commodity makes it extremely valuable. And yet, here is what we find. We find God in the Genesis account demonstrating pause. And then we find when he gives through Moses, when he gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel and to the ages, that he includes in these Ten Commandments this issue of a pause. Not only does he include the issue of a pause, if you read all of the Ten Commandments, God talks more about this issue of the pause than he does about everything else, which is interesting to me because even though this issue of the Sabbath is talked the most in the Ten Commandments, it's the one that's remembered the least. Let's take a look at it. From Exodus chapter 20, here's what it tells us starting in the eighth verse. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God, we thank you for your word. Let it be a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, 
remember, remember, remember. We're told to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's something powerful in a pause. Let me tell you something about me. I'm, I'm not a good person when it comes to being patient. When I was a child, I learned the fine art of taking Christmas presents under the, from under the Christmas tree, unwrapping them when my parents weren't home, seeing what was inside, and in fact, even taking them out of the package and playing with them. I'm so glad I did not grow up in the days when they used, when they used machines to, to, to package toys, right? Because if you try to take a, a toy out of a package now, you almost need an advanced degree in engineering, right? To get it out of all those little twist ties. Uh, not so much when I was a little kid, right? There might be three of those little twist ties that looked like came off of an old bread wrapper and you could take out your Tonka truck and play with it all day long while your parents were at work. And then about, about 4.30, you'd put it back in the package, rewrap it, make sure you put the tape along the same line and put it back underneath the tree. I'm sure I'm the only person in the room that ever did that, right? Well, now you know what you missed out on as a child. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not one, just, I'm, I'm not a good, I'm not a good person uh, when it comes to patience. Um, fine restaurants, um, a fine restaurant for me is a restaurant that can get me food in under five minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't need, the, I don't need the chef creating some masterpiece. I just want to make sure that my meat's decently cooked and get some good noodles. That's really all I need. I've, I've never been one that's good, um, with the, the pause. But, but here's what I have found. I found this, that, that there are times that a pause is well worth it. There, there are moments when a sunset will catch my eye. There, there are those occasions where I will, I will hear a song and it will it will captivate me. And what I've, what I've come to discover is there's amazing power in being calm and quiet before the Lord. It used to be that I would, I would get agitated or easily distracted. My mind would wander to all sorts of crazy things. And so the idea of just sitting and, and pausing and just allowing the presence of, of God um, to wash over me, was a, it, was, it was a tough thing to do. I, I, would, I would have all kinds of, of ideas and all kinds of understanding of things that needed to get done. And, and it seemed to me on some levels that to sit and do nothing was wasting time. And yet I've, I've discovered this axiomatic principle. In fact, if you've been around here at all in these last three years, you've heard me say this numerous times and, and hopefully you'll stick around to hear me say it a whole lot more. And, and that is this, that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Why? Because fatigue makes cowards. More people are worn out by worry than they are by work. 
And so God designed us with this in, internal need for and, and, and a corresponding benefit from the pause. And, and here's what I want to point out to you. When, when God says this, when he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, here's what, it, here's what it, he says. He says, it's not just about a pause. It's a pause with a purpose. The Sabbath is, it's not about not doing work. And, and, and see, that's the, that's the problem that Jesus had with it, Right? The religious people in Jesus' day had taken this issue of the Sabbath to a wacky extreme. You, you, could, you could only walk a, a certain amount of time before you were breaking the law and you were actually walking. And walking was working. You, um, I, I will say this, and this is, please understand, this is not to pick on faith or, 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 or religion. I, I was... I was surprised uh, to, to be in Israel and to get in an elevator one day that was on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, and the elevator stops on every floor. And here's the reason why, because pressing the elevator button is work. Do you see why that would cause you to go, I... I, I, don't, I don't think that God's focus was me not actually having any physical activity. The Sabbath, it has a purpose to it, right? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath to set it apart for a divine purpose. And so it's that, it's that moment that God has given us to refresh our spirit, to rest our mind, to recharge our emotions, to refresh us to the core. There's a purpose in the pause. And, and I, I want to challenge you in this. I want to challenge you that there's, there's a reason why God put this right in the middle of the Ten Commandments and, and why he talks uh, so much about it. If you you read through the psalm, there's a, there's a word that appears there. It appears 71 times in the psalm. It appears three times in the book of, of Habakkuk. And, and, and it's a word that, that, quite honestly, no one's quite sure what the actual definition is. But the word is selah. I think it's unfortunate that we don't have an accurate definition of this word selah. Because from every indication, here's what it means. It means It's, it's an opportunity for reflection. It's an opportunity for pause. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. I want, I want, to, I want to reconnect you with, with someone that if you spent time in Scripture, someone that will be a, a friend to you. And uh, I, I want us to look at uh, his journey and how his journey demonstrates that even good people, even people that have a heart for God, how we can get caught up in this world of busyness and the impact that it can have on us. 
notice what, what it says here in, 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 in 1 Kings 19. It tells us this. It says, And Ahab, Ahab was an evil king, told Jezebel, his even more evil wife, all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Elijah went up against all these false prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah demonstrated that the God that we serve is the one true God and the God that these false prophets serve, the, 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 the God Baal or Baal, that, uh, that, that, that was not a, a true God. And he had these false prophets put to death with the sword. And so Ahab goes back and tells Jezebel, and uh, Jezebel is not happy, and Jezebel says this, uh, 1 Kings 19, 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, isn't that interesting? Let the gods, let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them, one of the prophets that he put to death, by tomorrow about this time. And, and when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than, than, than my father's. And then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So God responds, and he says this. He says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he, and he, he made the same comment that he made earlier. Look, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want you to see in this story of Elijah, I want you to see what happens when we live a marginless life. 
when, when we don't understand, when we don't appreciate the pause that God gives us. Four consequences. No, number one is this. We tend to depreciate our worth. We tend to get a skewed understanding of who we are and a skewed understanding of our value. And, and friend, that's one of the things that the enemy really wants to do. The enemy wants to convince you that you don't matter. The enemy wants to convince you that you're worthless, that, that what you do has no real benefit and that, and that you have no impact or influence on the world around you. And, and Elijah, this, this mighty prophet of God, Elijah, this man who had this amazing, incredible, miraculous victory over false prophets just hours earlier is now freaked out and running for his life because of the statement of one woman. Why is this? It's because He's fatigued. It's because he's worn out. He doesn't understand the principle of the pause. Elijah came to a, a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He, he says this. He says, my life is worthless. And, and, and one of the first steps in, in getting the enemy To have priority in your day is reaching that point of fatigue to the point that you begin to depreciate your worth. And that's where we, that's where we find Elijah. We find Elijah. He's at that point where he goes, you know what? I don't matter. What I do doesn't matter. My life has no consequence. And when, when I start to believe my life has no consequence, when I start to believe my life doesn't matter, it, it's at that point that it's very easy for me to disconnect from the things of God. E even more than that, it's real easy for me to choose to do things that are counter to the principles of God. Let me take it even a step further. If I don't have any real value as a person, chances are pretty good that you don't have any real value. Let me say that again. If people don't matter, then, then I, 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 don't, I don't have to be concerned with you. I don't, I don't have to be concerned with your feelings. I, I don't have to be concerned with your disposition on any level. And, and in fact... If people don't really matter, if, if I don't really matter, then it's okay to even use people as tools to advance my own gain. Whether, I, whether I'm a ruthless employer that sees you nothing as nothing but a resource to advance my own bottom line, so I'll, I'll work you as hard as I can. And then when it comes time for me to retire and I want to expand the, my, my, my corporate stock, I can just lay off a bunch of you because it helps me for my payout at the end. Or if I'm agitated and want to make a point, I can take a weapon into a crowded place and just indiscriminately end the lives of people. Why? Because people don't matter. And that, that sense of people not mattering, it starts 
with this idea that I don't matter. And, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons it's important to remember the table, to remember the bread and remember the cup, to keep into full focus the high price that God paid for your soul. The high price he declared over you. The value that he has spoken over you. Because it is all too easy, friend, it is all too easy to lose sight of that, especially when we're fatigued, especially when we're, we're, we're wore out. It's very easy to be convinced that we don't matter, that our life has no value. And that's where we find Elijah. We find him at this point. And he says, you know what? Just take my life because I don't really matter. I have no impact. Understand this. I have given myself to do all this thing and nobody has listened. I will tell you, I, I've, I've had those moments in life. I, I've had those moments um, as, a, as a boss. I've had those moments as a man. I've, I've had those moments as a pastor. There was a, a moment when I was in youth ministry that I, in, in, in frustration, I said this out loud uh, to, really to myself, there was, there was nobody in, 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 within earshot that could hear what I said, but, but in, in a moment of frustration, I said, you know what, I'm nothing more than a high-priced babysitter. And, and in that moment, God gave me a picture of these students that, that were currently in our youth ministry, and, and what what their life would look like without the presence of God in their life. And even though they weren't living quite the way that I would want them to, God said, let me give you some perspective of what their life would be like if it was completely godless. And he rebuked me and he said, never minimize the work that I'm accomplishing through you. And so recognize, recognize, friend, that each and every one of us that are here, each and every one of us, we have a calling on our life. We have a destiny on our life. Each and every one of us here, we have an expression of spiritual gifts. Now, those spiritual gifts are different. Not everyone here has the gift of teaching. Not everyone here has the gift of exhortation. Not everyone here is called to stand on this platform and to speak on Sundays. In fact, it would be a pretty scary place if we were all called to stand on this platform and speak on Sundays. Although the platform is quite large and I could fit a number of you up here. But we, we all have this divine purpose, divine opportunity, and dare I say divine responsibility. Right? That's the reason why Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. But when we depreciate our worth, the, the next thing that often happens is we'll underrate our work. Right? That's, that's, what we see, uh, that's what we see Elijah doing. He says, I have worked very hard for the Lord God of heavens, but the people of Israel have broken their covenants with you and have tore down your altars. There's nobody left, God. It's just me. I have done it. I've worked hard. I've done everything that I could. And God, this is what you've got. Congratulations. Right? And, and what does God tell him at the end of the narrative, right? God talks to him, encourages him, challenges him, rebukes him. And then at the end, he says, oh, by the way, there's 7,000. It's not just you, Elijah. There's 7,000 
And you as the prophet in this day, you as the prophet in this time, your ministry has had much more influence than what you realize. And it's, it's significant. I, I probably have received more feedback from the students that I was pastoring in that season when I said to God, I'm nothing more than a high-priced babysitter than I have in any other time that I've served in pastoral ministry. In, in, in that in that time of frustration in that time of fatigue where I was worn out and burnt out I couldn't see it and yet it's, it's just it's real easy to underrate our work and, and when we do that when we underrate our work it, it will cause us to exaggerate our problems Elijah listen Everybody else is gone. Everybody else who serves you is gone. And by the way, God, now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah has just had a major victory over Ahab, Jezebel, and the false prophets of Baal. He has thwarted their efforts to to, to bring him woe at every turn. What is it that has changed? Has Jezebel now got some superpower? Has she found uh, some, some device that, that, that somehow will, will render Elijah powerless and unable to connect with God? No, the only thing that has changed is this, is Elijah is weary. And so because he's weary, he's lost perspective. And so he's devaluing who he is. He's underrating his work and now he's exaggerating the problems. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. And and when we reach that point, here's what happens. We tend to give up on our dreams. He prays. He says, that's it. I've had enough. I've had enough. You're here this morning. And life is crazy busy. In fact, there are some of you that you even, you wrestle with the idea of even being in church today. I've got all these things that I've got to do. I've got all these projects that have got to get done. And, and man, my, my schedule at work is crazy because I've got so much going on at work. I really, I don't, I don't have the time to stop and go to church. I, I, I've got to get stuff done at home. That way I'm ready tomorrow to get back at it at work. I've got to go. And God, God brought you here today to say this to you. Selah. Selah. Just shh. They that wait upon the Lord
it is, it is interesting to me. And let, let, me, let me say this, and let me bring our, our time here together with a close by, by saying this. Three years, it just, it seems like it was yesterday that I stood on this platform. I wore the same suit. And, and this, this, and this same, same tie. I don't think I look different at all. Some of you have really aged. And in three short years as the, as the leader, look what I've done to the place. It only took me three years to really just completely tear the sanctuary up. But it was about three years ago that I talked to you about this same topic. And I told you this. But I know there, this, there are a lot of you that weren't here three years ago, and so I want to share it again. It's interesting to me that in that moment, when God comes to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, there's a wind that is so violent that it tears rocks apart. But God wasn't in the wind. There was an earthquake that shook the foundations of the earth. But God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire. Powerful. Energetic. God wasn't in the fire. And here's what I know. I, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to Hear the heart of a pastor for a moment. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that loves just a Holy Ghost blowout service more than me. I love it when people are shouting praises. I, I love it when people are crying out to God. I, I love it when there's a demonstration of the power of God where, where, where people are experiencing dramatic healings, deliverance, people, people even fallen under the power of God. Listen, friends, I'm as Pentecostal as the next. To the core, I'm a first-generation Pentecostal. Experience the power of God and believe in it. I, I've seen divine healing. I've, I've been a part of signs and wonders. And, and I love that aspect of God. And, and what I'm about to say doesn't minimize that. Listen, let's believe God for the miraculous. Let's, let's believe God for the power of God to descend on this place like it has never experienced in all of its years of history. I'm, I'm in that and I'm all about that. But I want you to understand the genesis of that. That comes not from a woohoo. That comes not from us working you up into emotional frenzy. Here's where it starts. 
Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. Here's where it starts. It starts with a whisper. Here's what happens when somebody whispers. When someone whispers, you have to listen very carefully. In fact, when somebody whispers, you will lean in. And God said to Elijah, and he says to us, don't chase after the power. Don't chase after the demonstration. Understand that I am a God of power and that power will be demonstrated. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you, he does not say power. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, the power of God is first realized and fully appreciated in the pause and in the whisper and in the and in the intimacy, because God doesn't care how loud you can shout. He doesn't care how high you can jump. He's not fascinated by the scriptures that you can quote or the prophecies that you can project. Here's what he's most interested in. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. It's time for you to make, it's time for you to make room for, for God in your life. It's time for you to make room for his voice in your day. It's time for you to make room for his presence in all of your activity. Add a little bit of a margin because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy.